Welcome to the number one podcast covering Michigan State basketball. The Final Four is not in the schedule. Join Rod and me, Eric, as we dive deep into the Spartans to get you prepared for every game. Subscribe today for in-depth recruiting updates and fantastic interviews with today's important college basketball personalities like Robbie Hummel. Thanks for having me. I, uh, I have listened to your guys' podcasts numerous times on drives throughout any Midwestern Big Ten city, so I, I am big fans of your guys' work. Jay Billis. And next time, hey, if anybody in Michigan wants a December tea time, call me. You wimps won't show up, but I'll I'll be there. I'll be there and play in the cold. And Izzo will be in front of the fire with hot chocolate. Coaches Thomas Kelly. Oh, no problem. Glad to be back, man. Glad to be back. Mike Garland. You just can't sit there and trade twos for threes. You can't do it. You're gonna lose. Coming down the stretch, you're gonna lose. And more. You won't find better coverage of Spartan Hoops than you will get here. For both the casual and hardcore fan, come along as we take you for a green and white ride. Hey everybody, it's Eric alongside Rod here to discuss MSU's upcoming game against the Penn State Nittany Lions in State College on Wednesday night. As always, I'd encourage you to check out the support page for the show to drop us a tip in a one-time or recurring gift or visit our sponsors. You can find all the necessary links at tffinots.com support. Well, Michigan State heads back onto the road to Happy Valley and away from the friendly confines of the Breslin Center. The road has not been kind to MSU, to say the least, where they've only one true road game and win the season at Maryland. They're coming off an Illinois win. We can certainly hope they have some momentum, but this Penn State team is playing better than they were when they visited East Lansing a month ago. Uh, currently, uh, Penn State is 12-12 and overall, 6-7 and the Big Ten. Uh, they just had a five-point loss at Northwestern. They play very fast tempo, which certainly by Big Ten standards, uh, 63 uh, third overall and 60th in average length of offensive possession. And like as I mentioned, they are playing well recently. They've had one three in a row. Uh, a couple of them were road games at Indiana and at Rutgers before losing a tight one to Northwestern. Overall, Penn State ranks 89th in Ken Palm, an 80th ranking on offense and 102nd on defense. They don't shoot the ball real well from deep, 32% from three. They're 115th for twos. They also an offensive rebound very well, uh, 255th, although we know what that means against Michigan State. <laughs> uh, they're middling and getting to the free throw line at 123rd in free throw attempts to field goal attempts, uh, but they do shoot well when they get there at 74%. The one thing they do really well is they, they protect the ball. They don't turn it over despite playing so fast. They're 60th in turnover percentage. And on defense, they force a lot of turnovers. They're 19th in opponent turnover percentage and 25th in steals. So they are out there forcing mistakes. Uh, they have limited opponents from threes as well. So they're 45th in opponent three-point percentage. But they're really poor against twos as 272nd. And really, really bad defensive rebounding team at 324th. They don't have any blocks as they rank 230th in block percentage. And they tend to foul a lot, so they rank 248th in free throw attempts to field goal attempts by opponents. I think, you know, this is a profile of a team we kind of thought we were going to see this season, uh, that they're going to be playing fast and play, you know, uh, kind of in your face defensively, but probably not quite as extreme as maybe we originally thought coming into the Big Ten season. Yeah, they they do, though, rely a lot on making games chaotic. I, I think that's... Yeah. That's when they're at their best, and and you can see that in a lot of the numbers. Um, you know, offensively, uh, they're not they're not a great team from two, which means that they probably have some limitations in the half court. 
and defensively they struggle to guard against twos. Um, again, very, very uh, fast-paced team. They want to turn it into a helter-skelter type game. You know, in the first meeting, it's it's worth reminding people because it seems it's only a little more than a month ago. It seems like a lifetime. Michigan State <laughs> got their first Big Ten win of the season by 31 points. Yeah, crushed against yeah. these guys. Yeah, and at that time, you know, I think the prevailing wisdom was, well, this is probably the worst team in the league. Now, mm-hmm. we're five weeks further into the season, and we know definitively that's not the case. I mean, before they lost today, they were sitting there at 6-6. Six and six. So, you know, yeah. be- before 2 o'clock yesterday on Saturday, they were tied with Michigan State in the conference standings. <laughs> so the, yeah. I think Penn State and Minnesota were generally regarded as the two worst teams in the Big Ten by most people coming into the season. They are both, you know, Minnesota, after they lost today, is 6-6, six and six, and these guys are 6-7 and seven. for both of them. That represents, yeah. if they don't win another game, that represents a better outcome than anybody anticipated, right? For sure. And, yeah, no question. And I don't think either one of them is necessarily done winning games. So, you know, that's, it, it hats off to Mike Rhodes. I mean, he had to really almost completely rebuild this roster. And the couple of guys he had coming back were not serious contributors to their Mm -hmm. NCAA tournament team last year. So he really was starting over. And to be in that position and have them where they are, that you know, they lost to Northwestern today, but that was a road game. They only lost by five. Now, granted, Northwestern was without Ty Berry, which is a big loss for a team that really depends so much on its guards for offense. But I still think it tells you, and as you had mentioned, they had won three straight prior to that, two of those on the road. So suffice it to say, that's all evidence for the proposition that Penn State is playing pretty well. I'd also note another important element in that. Uh, Their top scorer by far, Clary, missed the first. So they've won three of their last four. He missed the first two of those games, both wins. And then the last two, a win and a loss, he was coming off the bench but playing reduced minutes. So they've also been doing this without their best offensive player. So yeah. it's a it's a it's a good indication that uh, you know things that are visible when you watch them play anyway. But it's still worth noting he's gotten this team to buy in and play very very hard. It's funny, you know. They, I expected that it would be a very different look for Penn State this year, but. At least on offense, in terms of the <laughs> reliance on threes, it looks very familiar. These guys put up a ton of threes. Now, they're not nearly as efficient as they were last year, which is the difference uh-huh. between the two teams. But that part of them, what they do stylistically, is is very similar. Uh, defensively, it's a totally different deal. And, and this team actually has a legitimate center, which they really didn't have, or the one they had didn't play a ton at least last year (laughs) right yeah so it's it's a different thing but i I think you have to give him a lot of credit um no matter what happens the rest of the way and you know this was coming out of the michigan state illinois game both coaches got asked 
uh, what it is that's leading to this parity. Because if you look at the Big Ten right now, yeah, right. You know, Wisconsin has hit the skids to the point they're only one game up on Michigan State. They're eight and five. Michigan State seven and six. You got a ton of teams that are in the six to seven win category. You know, yep. and then some teams maybe just below that. It's an and and both Brad Underwood and Tom Izzo in different ways answered that by saying, you know, there's there's one elite team, and that was Brad Underwood's answer, it was Zach Eady. That he is <laughs> what differentiates Purdue from everybody else, but that everybody mm-hmm. else is pretty similar. They've all got good players. They're all capable when they're playing at their best, and certainly when they're playing at home, of beating anyone else. Um, but you're also capable of losing games when you're not on your on your uh, you're not playing your best, and especially right. when you're on the road. And I think that's been true. So you look at this team, and you have to say the same as you would with Minnesota, or Maryland, or Iowa. You know, Rutgers, Michigan yeah. Rutgers now. Rutgers has been hot lately. Mm-hmm. You say, look, uh, trying to sort out the differences between these teams, very, very difficult. So for Michigan State, because it's a road game and because they haven't had a ton of success on the road as of yet, it's it's a challenge. I would note that the teams they've lost to on the road thus far with with the exception maybe of Minnesota, everybody else is an NCAA tournament team as of yeah. as of this recording. You know? So it's not like they've been going out, man, we can't we couldn't win at Michigan, we couldn't win at Columbus, you know, the teams that are really struggling. That's not been the case as of yet. I would say this certainly sits as a game, despite the fact that Penn State's playing better and despite the fact that it's on the road, this sits as a game. Michigan State's supposed to win. Yeah. You know, they are. And and so we'll see how that goes. Uh, just delving for a second into the profile that you mentioned, they uh, offensively, as I said, it's not a particularly efficient three-point shooting team, but they will sure put up a high volume. They average like 24 attempts per game. That's a fair amount. So <laughs> yeah. you have to be... You have to be prepared for that. And while they don't have anybody that you'd say is just a devastatingly effective shooter, they've got enough guys that are decent that you got to be worried if they if they happen to be having one of those days where they're falling. Uh, they've also got some guys that can that can get to the line. Baldwin can do that. Uh, in the first game, Clary shot ten free throws and made them all against yeah. MSU. So. There's that. Uh, defensively, uh, when I look at, when I think back to what they are, and then you look at their profile, what it what it screams to me is a game plan very similar to what we just saw from MSU against Illinois. Do not settle for three. Certainly don't force them. Be consistent and aggressive in looking to get the ball inside. They do not defend it well against twos they're not a particularly big team outside of their starting center so i think this is a game that you can think about malik hall maybe being able to do some damage on the blocks Mm -hmm. 
and the guards should be able to get into the lane and have opportunities to finish plays there. So that's all going to be critical. And the other thing that goes along with that is they are um, they are prone to fouling. So that could be an opportunity if Michigan State is looking to play aggressively and they're not settling for jumpers. There's there's a good chance that they could find themselves shooting a fair number of free throws. You know, and then the other thing, as you mentioned, we'll circle back to it, of course, the rebounding stuff. This is a terrible defensive rebounding team, just terrible. And so, boy, you'd like to think there will be opportunities for second chances here. <laughs> That's why they had 14 when they played Michigan State the first time. <laughs> yeah, this yeah. Is a, this is the classic, you know, that right. Michigan State really struggles against teams that aren't any right. good <laughs> right. at rebounding. Um, you know, the other thing, too, which you mentioned, is defensively the effectiveness that they have is predicated largely on making a game chaotic, being disruptive, forcing turnovers, forcing you to try to get outside of what you normally do and break up your rhythm that way. And when they're able to do that, they can be effective. When when teams handle that pressure well, you know, it's a different story. And I think that's where Penn State can really struggle to stop people. Yeah, they were really dreadful behind the arc when they played in East Lansing earlier. They were three for 29. I mean, 10%, which is, yeah. you know, there's no way they're going to be that. <laughs> they'll be that uh, bad. Probably we, not. <laughs> it's safe to assume. Uh, and they were fantastic when they played Indiana. I don't know what their numbers were, but they were just, they were lights yes, out the whole that was game. The key. That was the key to that game for them. Absolutely. Yeah. And and I would say the one thing too, of course, as we all mentioned many times, you know, Bryce Jordan Event Center, whatever it's called, and it's mm-hmm. not a great home venue. There's not great fan support, generally right. speaking, for the basketball. So uh, it is an, it is a road game. But you figure if there's a place where you're going to be able to pull off a road win, this would be a place where you don't have it. The hostility is just not there. You shouldn't get carried away by the uh, by at least runs and stuff. You know, from opposing. It cuts it cuts two ways because I think that's definitely true. You're not you're not as worried about the crowd really taking your team out of the moment or any of those things because they just don't have the crowd support that tends to lead to that. On the other hand, it can be sort of a dead building, and I've always felt that at times, depending upon your team and its maturity, um, that can lead to an issue where you sort of have to manufacture your own emotion. Sort Sort of akin, and this is an extreme example, but you know, think about those games in the COVID year where it was so strange because you just didn't have any kind of external input for atmosphere. So you had to, you really yeah. as a team had to manufacture that for yourself. And I think that um, that can often be the case for teams playing at Bryce Jordan is there's so little atmosphere that you kind of have to find it in your own way. You know, you can't rely on that. You know, normally when a team goes on the road, if they're, again, mature and mentally tough and all of that stuff, you know, that you can take a, hey, it's the 13 guys and coaches and walk-ons versus <laughs> the world, right? Yeah. And and you're facing that. Sometimes that can galvanize a team. That's not usually the deal at Bryce Jordan. So I could see it both ways, but don't get me wrong. I would much rather deal with that problem than the one, you know, say you're going to run into at Mackey. This will be an opportunity, I think, for Michigan State to pull off the road win in a place where 
it, well, and I should say in a league where it has been really challenging and there certainly shouldn't take anything for granted because I've seen so many gigantic leads given up by teams. I mean, we've, we're sort of lamenting the nine point lead that was blown in Minneapolis, but Minnesota just blew almost a, what, almost 20, 18 or 20 point, 20, 20 point, point lead against Iowa, yeah. Iowa city. <laughs> so, yep. uh, yeah. yeah, so nothing safe and, and, uh, you got to make sure you bring it the whole 40 minutes, which absolutely that's one thing that this team has yet to do. Right. But we'll get into that. In a well, bit. I would, I would say that we just saw them do that. I mean, it's an interesting thing. Michigan, I, I, I posted this on the Spartan heck board yesterday. It's funny how Michigan state was plus 27 in 14 minutes of that game <laughs> yeah. and uh, minus 19 in the other 26. So for the majority of that game, they were being outscored. It just so happens that Michigan State had two very, not even good, great stretches at the close of each half that won them the game. But I, but even having said that, I think that's about as close as we've seen to a 40-minute effort from MSU. So I, I think it's the first time that we can, you know, a lot of games this year that they've won even, um, never mind the ones they've lost, we look back and say, well, they were really good and got out to a good-sized halftime lead that the second half was basically about just trying to hold them off. You know, um, mm -hmm. that wasn't the case against Illinois. I thought they did good things for the majority of that game. Yeah, and I think that was largely reflected when in AJ's play where I think he played a full 40 minute yep. uh, game, both on both ends of the court. And that, you know, that reflects in the rest of the team or, I mean, I, they sort of feed off each other for sure. They're, they're yeah. both related to each other. Uh, so let's talk about the, the lineups for Minnie Lions. Uh, this is brought to you by the brothers of just your gutters and the, the sponsor, the player that Michigan state needs to keep in the gutter. And so just a reminder, if you need gutter work done in your house, or maybe you have a deck and you'd like to utilize the space under your deck and you want to just store stuff, or maybe you want to kind of convert it into sort of a, a room or places where you can hang out when it's raining or snowing, uh, you can get this under decking system that the brothers will install as well. That is an option. So they do that and not in addition to, and they put the drainage stuff along the side so it doesn't, the water doesn't run into underneath the deck. Uh, so that's a good way of getting the water away from underneath your deck. Uh, but they also can do it to keep it away from your foundation. So if you need good gutter work, uh, downspouts, the gutters, maybe you want some leaf guards on there so you don't have to go up and clean up the leaves all the time. You can contact the Brothers Just Your Gutters, 10% off if you mention Final Four when you get your estimate. You can find the ways to contact Kurt and his team in the Grand Rapids area and Greg and his team in the Metro Detroit area at the support page at tffinots.com support. And the links will be there for you. So we'll begin with the starters for Penn State. We'll start with Ace Baldwin. Six foot one Baldwin is, was uh, one who followed Rhodes from VCU to Penn State. Uh, he's been a good addition to the backcourt for the Nittany Lions. He runs points, leads him in assists at about five and a half a game with a two and a half to one assist turnover ratio. Also leads the team in steals at three a game. Scores at 14.1 points a game on 40, 34, and 82 shooting. And that's uh, probably because he's just He's gotten a lot better since the last time they faced him. He has gotten better since the last time. When MSU saw him the first time, he was productive in a counting number sense, but and he wasn't horrible, but just the efficiency was not yeah. quite where I think they'd hoped it would be. 
his three-point shooting percentage has gone up 4% since MSU saw him the first time. His, two, his, his shooting from two has also increased. His assists average have gone up about a full assist a game without a corresponding rise in turnovers. So his ratio has improved by, it was two to one before, it's about two and a half to one now. And he's still making an impact defensively with steals, which is certainly one of the ways they measure defensive effectiveness in their system. So overall, I mean, Ace Baldwin has been exactly what they hoped he would be. You're talking about a player who I I can't remember whether he was A-10 player of the year or just a first-team all-A-10 player, but one or the other, maybe both. Yeah, right. He was considered a very good get. It was very important. Rhodes to get him to come because it meant that Penn State had the most important position dialed in, that at least they knew they had a guy who was Big Ten caliber at that spot. And we see what happens to teams in this league that don't have that. I mean, Illinois has done a remarkable job kind of scheming around that, but otherwise, man, you want to look at Michigan's problems? It's not the only problem. they got a ton of them. But one of them is that they've had inconsistent play from the guy they've got when he's in there. When he's not there, they don't have anybody. You think about <laughs> Fred Hoiberg's teams um, over the years. He's been at Nebraska, and most of them, they've struggled because they haven't had adequate point guard play. You know, we can go on and on and on. Minnesota last year. So if you if you get that guy, it gives you a chance to compete. And Penn State got that in Ace Baldwin, and that's one of the reasons why they've been competitive. Then we'll go to 6'5 transfer from North Carolina, DeMarco Dunn, averaging 7.2 points a game on 42, 35, and 65 shooting. And he's the one who's replaced uh, Kanye Cleary, uh, who's was it been out for with injury. Yeah, so Cleary missed a couple games a, a few weeks back, and then he's been back for the last two. But as they brought him back, He's come off the bench and he's played reduced minutes. He played 18 and then 14. So Dunn has been a guy that's benefited from that. He His effectiveness from three has declined a little bit since the first time MSU saw these guys. But still, at 35%, he rates as one of their better shooters for sure. And that's his primary contribution that he provides this team is he gives them some wing perimeter scoring production. Then we'll go to Zach Hicks, 6'8", 200-pound transfer from Temple. He's uh, been starting every game so far this season, averaging 7.4 points a game on 34, 32, and 76 shooting and pulling down about three and a half boards a game. Yeah, you know, he's been, he's probably been about what they figured he would be. We weren't talking about a superstar, but when you got to add, like I forget how many guys they added through the portal. It was a crazy number, like <laughs> yeah. eight, eight or nine, Seven or, yeah. something yeah. like that. And so... You know, they, they, Penn State wasn't going to be in a position where they were going to get a lot of stars, let's say. I mean, Baldwin would be the star that they got. And and so Hicks has given them a starting caliber player who can play a little bit on the way, and he can also play some four if need be. Uh, you know, he's, he's contributed. But again, not, you look at those numbers, and what they tell you is there are some offensive limitations. Then we'll go to Nick Kern, averaging eight points a game and four point one rebounds a game in twenty-four minutes. He's a transfer from VCU, six foot seven. Uh, he has 
playing uh, shooting 34% overall from the field and 74% from the line. Uh, poor three-point shooter, just two for 13. And uh, he was the second leading scorer in the game against Michigan State with 10 points. Yeah, and I have to, I have to say, I, I kind of like him because I think he gives them, it's not hard to see how and why he ended up at VCU because he's the kind of guy I think of when I think of that program. He's sort of a live-bodied, high-motor guy, maybe not the most, well, definitely not the most skilled guy in the world, but high energy, high effort, and some athleticism allows him to help them in a variety of ways. So he has done that, and again, has has kind of helped solidify that four spot. And finally, seven-foot senior, Kudus Wahab, who's played for virtually every team, it seems like, in the in the Northeast, uh, Georgetown, Maryland, now back in the Big Ten at Penn State. Uh, he's averaging 9.4 reba- uh, points per game, 7.8 rebounds a game, 65% from the floor, 74% from the line, uh, but doesn't really get many blocks, uh, which is a little surprising. At just 1.3 a game. Yeah, but he's really the only rim protection they have. Uh, they just don't have anything else around him. <laughs> he's had a you know he's had a decent season. His numbers are not, his scoring is down slightly, maybe about half a point a game from where it was the first time MSU saw him. Rebounding is roughly similar. It's down a little bit. Uh, but otherwise, his shooting is kind of on par. And he's, he's been consistent this year, I think is the point in terms of what he's given them. And, and clearly, again, we, we looked at that team last year. Penn State was very, very unique in that you know, I talked about Illinois scheming around the fact they don't have a point guard. Well, Penn State last year schemed around the fact that they were really, really small, really small. Mm-hmm. And they overcame that by virtue of the the pace they played at at times, the way they shot threes, and the way that those more wing-sized guys sort of gang-rebounded to just help keep them alive. You know, it, it was pretty mm-hmm. entertaining to watch, but very unconventional. You'd rather in this league, you would rather have a legitimate center. And yeah, Penn State has one with this guy. He's not a star, but you're talking about a guy that can credibly hang in there physically against, you know, the vast majority, the, the non-Zach Eady division of centers in this league and give you <laughs> a fighting chance to compete. Moving on to reserves then, we'll begin with Kanye Clary, a 5'11 sophomore, played 10 minutes a game uh, for Shrewsbury last season, opted to stay, and actually it turned out really well. He was definitely their best player coming into the last game, averaging 17.1 points a game on 46, 38, and 81 shooting, second on the team in assists, and he was pretty much the only one who did anything <laughs> the first matchup in, in East Lansing, uh, going for 21 points and shooting 5 for 10 from the field, but... Uh, Anyway, it's, it's about all they got going for him right now. Yeah, he had a, a third of their points just by himself. And as you say, the, the, pretty much anybody else struggled to get it going. Uh, as I mentioned, he hasn't played as much. Not only has he not started, he hasn't played the kind of minutes that he was playing before the injury. So um, that's something to watch. Uh, you know, it's, it's possible that at any time they could decide to reinsert him. I, I have a feeling that maybe some of that was a desire to not rock the boat after they'd won a couple games in a row without him. Yeah. To maybe right. figure, you know, so maybe that's it and maybe we'll see him back in the starting lineup. But I would be kind of surprised to not see him play a little more than he has been in these two games since he's been back, unless they're 
you know, real physical reasons for not overtaxing him. But the bottom line is he's been one of the better offensive guards in the conference. He's a very capable three-point shooter, as evidenced by that percentage, 38%. And as he showed against Michigan State, there are times that he's able to get downhill and force teams to foul him. And he shoots free throws well enough that that's an issue, too. Now, he's not he's not overall of the caliber of some other guards that we've seen in that regard around the league. But he obviously proved it in the first game against MSU that he's capable of doing that. So, uh, you know, definitely a guy that um, you would be concerned about containing. I would say uh, we haven't gone, I don't know if you want to go into our gutters segment right now. <laughs> But he would be <laughs> sure can. He would be the guy that I would say I would still, even though he's coming off the bench, he's still the guy I feel like MSU has to keep in the gutter. Even with the way Ace has been playing, you still feel like he's I do, uh, I do, because I feel, you know, again, unless unless there's something going on physically that's limiting him, I feel like it's especially coming off a loss, that would be an opportunity for Rhodes to say, Okay, let's reinsert him in the starting lineup, mm-hmm. up those minutes. And if that's the case he's still their best offensive player. I mean, Baldwin's been playing very, very well, but I would still lean toward Clary as the guy you got to worry about the most. Sure. Uh, Then going to Puff Johnson, 6'8 transfer from North Carolina, averaging 6.3 points a game and 3.1 rebounds a game, shooting 38, 26, and 67. And the 26 is the reason he's no longer in North Carolina. Uh, And I think he's just hoping to get a new... New uh, environment, maybe that it improve a little bit, but that's uh, not been working out so far this season. Yeah, that's the the big disappointment. I think I thought I thought that you know his his brother um, Cam plays in the NBA. He's still with the Suns, plays in the NBA anyway, and he was a very very good shooter with a similar body, and I think that was the hope for Pup mm-hmm. that he would be a similar kind of player. You know, six eight. So capable of playing some on the wing, capable of playing some four, but you know, first and foremost, a real deep threat. And that just did not work at Carolina and it hasn't worked at Penn State, you know, which which is why you see guys like Kern uh and Hicks playing maybe a little more than would have been anticipated. I mean, those guys were always going to be part of the rotation. But I think there was a hope that, oh, a Carolina guy and a guy who was a top 100 recruit coming out of high school and all of that would would be would have a chance to really expand his role, not maybe worry as much about uh, getting off to a cold start, what have you, having to earn your way into consistent minutes the way you do yeah. in a place like Carolina. Um, and, and he's still in the rotation, but it just... It has not been, I think, the kind of year they'd hoped for. They've gotten some upside out of several guys versus what reasonable expectations would have been, but he would be one that's on the other the other side of that equation. And another transfer is Leo O'Boyle, 6'7", 225-pounder from Lafayette, averaging two points a game, a rebound a game in about 11 minutes, shooting 29, 24, and 77. Yeah, I mean he's if if you've seen Penn State play, you know where his role is. He's <laughs> he's a guy they kind of roll out there to. He's not huge, but he's got enough size that they can they can let him throw his body around and maybe hit a shot or two while he's on the floor. Not not a major contributor. And this is this is really as we start getting into this realm, 
this is where Penn State maybe comes up a little bit short in comparison to some of the teams that are in. You know, you can look at the standings and say, well, all these teams are in a similar boat, right? But yeah, I think we've still got whatever. Most teams have seven games left to play. I still think you're looking at Penn State and thinking, well, it's not going to be surprising if they tail off a little bit. And maybe yeah, they sure. finish with seven or eight wins rather than nine or ten. One of the reasons why is this. I think the very top of their lineup, you see where they can compete. But you start getting into guys in the rotation, in reserve roles, and they don't quite match some of the opponents around the conference. That's not true for everybody, but for a lot of teams it is. And finally, we'll go on to Jamil Brown. Uh, he's returning to Penn State. He's six four sophomore guard, four straight games in double-digit minutes, uh, averaging 4.6 points a game at 40, 38, and 29 shooting. He was a dreadful 0 for 7 from 3 against Michigan State in the first meeting. Yeah, terrible there. Absolutely. In seven minutes. That's what's really yeah. impressive. Yeah, absolutely torched Indiana more recently, though. He's been playing better, as you said. He's been in double-digit minutes the last four games which is, you know, he'd been a single-digit guy for the season really largely before that. I think he might have only had one other double-digit game. So uh, he's kind of come into his own. And again, that's important for the reasons I just mentioned. The way they're playing right now, okay, if you're counting Clary as a, as a reserve, well, that's a big-time reserve. But you'd like another guy, and particularly another shooter, and Brown has been that. You know, his seasonal numbers, pretty decent from three. So he's a guy Michigan State's going to have to be conscious of for sure. Yeah, it was interesting. That first match game, uh, they played 14 players. Yeah. <laughs> As you could tell, well, it's a 31-point Yeah, exactly. Point that's, game. <laughs> that's why, because it was a blowout. Yeah, I didn't even know they, they even had an Icelandic guy, a Goodmanson. Yep. <laughs> yep. Like a, I feel like Nebraska had one all the time. Yep. Uh, all right. So let's go on to the squeegee squad of Grand Rapids. The Michigan State player that cleans the glass the best. If you need your glass clean, there's no better place to go than the squeegee squad of Grand Rapids. Whether it's a house, a business, high rise, whatever you need cleaned, they can do it. They've got a large crew, a small crew, whatever the size of the job is, they can take care of it. Uh, they'll come out to your house or your business. They'll take the time. They're meticulous. They get everything nice and clean. Screens inside, the outside. Uh, they'll even power wash your house if you want and if you need that done. Uh, you can contact them to get a quote, and they will clean the glass better than anyone else. So you want to go head on over to our support page to get the link to contact them. 15% off, you mentioned, rebound to get a discount for your estimate on your window cleaning. Uh, all right, so it's currently five to three and a half. You've had this, uh, I've had, I think I've been stuck on three and a half since sometime in the Reagan administration. So you get to pick first, unfortunately. So who are you going to go with the players going to clean the glass best? I think now, at least the way the last couple games have gone, I don't think this is as easy to, to pick as it has been in the past. So I think it's going to be a little bit more wide open for the Michigan state. Well, that, you're, you're right about what's happened over the last two games, but I am in looking at this, this team and this lineup, I am going to go with the tried and true Marty Sissoko answer. I think he's going to bounce back, and I think we're going to see more minutes from him and therefore more rebounds. Well, I guess I'll just go with the our standard Malik Hall as the number two. I I feel like whoever I pick at this point, I'm I'm a game behind. Like I picked 
Jaden Akins, and then the next game he leads the team right. <laughs> in rebounding. So uh, we'll see. I, maybe I'm a what am I a leading indicator or a lagging indicator? I'm not sure which. But anyway, uh, we'll see how that works out. Uh, I think this is a team obviously with plenty of opportunity to dominate them on the boards, both in both ends for a team. I mean, if you could do what Michigan did last last game against Illinois, you think you like they could do the same thing against Penn State, which we'll get into in just a moment as we get into our keys of the game brought to you by Nudge Printing. Uh, if you need a printing job done for print, screen printed material, apparel, there's no better place than Nudge Printing at nudgeprinting.com. Listeners of the show get 20% off if they type that in as one word on the coupon code at checkout. And we're going to hear a little bit from Gabe in our discussion. Hey, everybody, it's Eric alongside Gabe Viscomi, owner of the fantastic sponsor of the Final Force on the schedule, Nudge Printing. We're here to take a peek behind the curtain. And so the question always is, what's new? So what kind of new products do you have coming up this year, Gabe? Uh, yeah, so we've got um, we've got a few things. Uh, backed by popular demand, we've we started doing quarter sips and polos, and we just cannot keep them in stock. Yeah. We cannot invest enough. So those are coming back, uh, and we should have them up here soon, actually. And we also have a new design uh, that we're working on. I'm not going to give it all away completely, but it does have to do with one of the Michigan State coaches. <laughs> so we are working on something like that, um, and hopefully within the next few weeks we'll have that. I can't uh, imagine uh, which coach you're talking about. I can't. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds great. All right, so the first key to the game is the glass. So Penn State, as we mentioned, they're bad. They're really bad. And yet they had a 33% offensive rebounding rate against Michigan State. Now, they had plenty of opportunities to, to rebound last game because they missed a whole lot of shots. But uh, this is this. it seems like the worst a team is, the worst Michigan State plays against you know, from a rebounding standpoint. What was, what was Michigan State's offensive rebounding rate in that game? Uh, you know? Let's see. So Penn State was 33. I can look it up here in just a second. Uh, they had nine offensive rebounds on 32 misses. So... Whatever that is. Okay, so a little so twenty eight percent. They were actually worse than Penn State. Yeah, and that's that's disappointing. Obviously, look, <laughs> yeah. we we've said this uh, a thousand times this season. If we've said it once, <laughs> it's Michigan State has proven that they are capable of rebounding at a high enough level to be competitive with great rebounding opponents. They've done it many times, not just once, not just twice. The problem where the big issues have come in, in my view, has been when they've been playing substandard rebounding opponents. And for whatever reason, they don't tend to do the job nearly as well against those kinds of teams. Penn State is a mediocre, at best, offensive rebounding team but they are a truly terrible defensive rebounding team. And and so that's when you're when you're drawn to that the first thing you say is well you really ought to be able to make some hay on your offensive glass and and mm-hmm. that would seem to be available for MSU but the more important thing from a winning the game perspective I think is at the other end. It's making sure you know, 33% offensive rebounding rate is is a loss as I look at it for the defense, but it wasn't a massive catastrophic 
else. We've seen far worse. We've seen games where they've given up uh, rebounding rates in the 40s to opponents, near yeah. even close to 50 on maybe one occasion or two. Uh, that's So it wasn't that kind of pounding, but it was still bad enough. So if I have to pick, I would pick that Michigan State limits Penn State to a sub-30% offensive rebounding rate. And then you can probably live with whatever you get at the other end. You know, that's the yeah. important thing because I think I think uh, Michigan State will be able to find other ways to score against this team. They don't, they're not looking at this game and saying, boy, we're really going to need second chances to put points on the board. At least they shouldn't, you know. But, man, if they can't stop Penn State on a on one missed shot, you're giving them chances to hang around. Yeah, especially a team that shoots threes, right? You just you're yeah, obviously better. They're usually better looks for three. And now Penn State obviously didn't capitalize in, in East Lansing. But that, but, but it raises can, that raises a good point too. You can expect that they're going to be a high number of three shot because that's what they do, and that's going to make it imperative that it's not just about Mahdi and and Cooper and Hall. It's those guards really have to be dialed in because yep. there are going to be a lot of long rebounds. I think that's a safe assumption. Second key to the game is chaos. Penn State, as you mentioned before, they like to create a lot of steals, turnovers, and just get things moving and up and down fast. So that, you know, in some ways you could imagine that is a good thing for Michigan State. From a turnover standpoint, uh, you know, I'm not as, as worried about Michigan State getting put into a game where there's a little more chaotic just because they have so many good ball handlers. Uh, but obviously you don't want that to be a negative in this game. Yeah, but you just never know. I mean, it's a, let's put it this right. way. It's important that Michigan State plays, again, deals with that pressure at the level that we expect them to, okay? Mm-hmm. There's a reason, there's a legitimate reason for an expectation of that, and Michigan State needs to meet it in this game. You know, Penn State is a, a team that struggles in two ways. They're not a great offensive team, so... I think it's fair to say they can struggle to score at times, and they also definitely struggle to stop people from scoring at times. So if they are able to generate turnovers, and especially live ball turnovers, they're helping both of those weaknesses. You know, if you can survive the pressure, you're not giving them open court chances to score easy baskets, and you're likely to have more success because as we talked about at the outset, this is not a team that I would rate as a particularly great half court defense team. They give up a lot inside the arc. They give up second chances. They don't really dissuade you very much at the rim with shot blocking. So if you're not kicking the ball around, you're going to have decent chances to put points on the board against this team. So I think it's really important that Michigan State handle it as well as we would anticipate. And third key to the game is offensive balance. Uh, this is going to look a lot different than a lot of the games recently for Michigan State, uh, where this could be probably a lot more transition and up and down than we've seen in a while. Yeah, but but also what, what I mean by this is more actually oriented toward the half court. Um, <laughs> you know, Izzo mentioned Michigan State went, I think it was four for six from three in the Illinois game. Now, that's a great percentage, but the number that leaps out at you is you only shot <laughs> six. six threes. 
And most yeah. of those came in the first half. Uh, yeah. So you can look at it and say, well, what, what's the reasoning behind that? Why did that, why did that happen? Well, Izzo in his post game, which I watched last night mentioned that was by design. And, and the reason was they felt, and, and we, we talked about it in pregame, Illinois, Illinois, does a very good job of limiting your three attempts. And it's a function, mm-hmm. I think, of their of their system, but but most importantly, their length at pretty much every position and having some pretty good athletes at those positions. They just they're able to close on shooters and contest shots in ways that really hold down the number of attempts generally. But I think Izzo also felt, he indicated he felt that there were opportunities for them if they got the ball inside. They felt they could do real damage either via penetration, via some post play, all of that. And I think it's a similar deal here. I don't necessarily expect only six three attempts in this game, but I think it's important that for a lot of reasons that Michigan State keep a similar mindset in play in this game to the one they had against Illinois. You want to see them play, the guards playing downhill, you want to see opportunities for Hall and maybe maybe some Jackson Kohler too uh, mm-hmm. to operate in the post and get some things done down there. I mean, I have to tell you when I when I look at the guys that Penn State is likely going to have trying to cover Malik Hall, Malik Hall should have opportunities. Yeah, you know, and, and so I think that's that's what you want to see. So when we talk about balance. It, it it would be nice to get more three-point production than they got against Illinois, uh, but it starts, as it usually does, with being intent on getting the ball inside and, and then seeing if maybe other opportunities on the perimeter open up as a result of that. With three-point shooting, is that something you're going to see... Uh, I you know I feel like Michigan State doesn't really shoot a lot of threes in any way, and so yes. so you're gonna what do you what kind of number do you think they're gonna get like you know 15 is that sort of what they're probably aiming for? Yeah, probably I would I would guess somewhere somewhere around there, um, not quite as extreme as Illinois because I I don't think Penn State has the personnel to limit the chances uh, the way that Illinois could. And 15 would be a more normal number for MSU. But, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if they were less. Now watch them have a game where they put up 33. <laughs> but but I don't yeah. think so. I don't think so because I just think Penn State has some inherent difficulties guarding teams inside the arc that Michigan State is equipped, I think, now with the way that they're, you know, that we've seen some post presence finally develop. And the way the guards yeah. are more consistent at looking to get to the rim, I think Michigan State is well-equipped to hit them there. So if they're doing that, it's going to hold down the number of three attempts by design. Well, and you also, I mean, the first matchup, it was, Michigan State was 10 for 13 from the line. So not a whole lot of free throw attempts, I think. Right. I'd say a 20-some. Uh, you expect that, I would expect that they have a lot more free throw attempts. Maybe not I quite would, as extreme as against Illinois. I would too. And, and here's something else to note on that front. So in looking at where they were before the first game versus now, Penn State's ability to defend without fouling has fallen off a cliff. They are fouling a lot more than they were in the beginning of January. Now so they're in Big means, Ten play. Right, yeah. exactly. They're in Big Ten play. So sometimes 
you know, if if Big Ten teams are playing strong enough non-conferences, you don't expect there necessarily to be a huge negative effect because once you get in the league play, because you're playing tough opponents anyway. Right. There yeah. may have been a bigger gap. They probably haven't looked at Penn State's schedule in, in detail, but I'm going to assume there was maybe a bigger gap for them than there were with most uh, Big Ten teams, and that may be why the, the slippage in that area is so dramatic. You know, Brad Underwood, boy, I feel like I've been giving him kudos and crediting him a lot <laughs> lately, which I don't like. But, yeah, I watched his post game too, and one of the things he said in acknowledging that Michigan State was a more aggressive team and therefore deserved to be on the line to the extent that they were, he said, you know, if you're defending and fouling, it's a sign of passivity. It's a sign mm -hmm. of weakness. He takes that way. Now, it doesn't always have to be that way because I can remember Michigan State teams of the past that were anything but passive who got a lot of fouls called on them because they were too <laughs> aggressive. But I think yeah. generally his point stands. I know what he's getting at, and I, there's nothing to argue with. You know, usually you're in positions where you're fouling because you're getting beaten off the dribble. Yeah, you got right. a post yeah. guy wearing you out, and your guys are trying anything to stop them, and they end up fouling. You know, because they're not in good position. Your defense isn't playing in a connected fashion. You're physically overwhelmed. You know, any of those things. And so I think that's an issue for Penn State in this game. I really do. And then the fourth key to the game is contested three. As mentioned before, Penn State shoots a lot of them. They shot almost 30, yeah. <laughs> making almost none of them uh, in the East Lansing. But that's how they were very competitive against Indiana, for instance, to beat them. And they've yep. played well down the street. I think it's a feast or famine kind of thing with that team. And and look, you look at their, their lineup and, you know, they don't have – you know, Wahab can give them a little bit in the post, but they don't have yeah, a lot. Have they don't have a lot down there. You know, they're not very, you know, they're not very different than Michigan State where you say, well, this is, this is not a team that has a true low post automatic bucket getter on the yeah. roster, you know, and their guards, while guys like Baldwin and Cleary can occasionally do some damage off the dribble, this is not a Maryland, this is not, um, in Illinois, this is not a team that's just going to continually test you by, hey, we're going to square you up one-on-one -on -one and just let our guys go and beat you to the rim, you know, force you to foul us if you can't guard us. You know, those I, I don't think they're that. So what can they do? Well, they can take threes. So they do take yeah. a lot of them. Even though they're not a particularly efficient team from three, they're good enough. If I'm if I'm Mike Rhodes, I'm... I, I, thinking that his thought process is probably some version of, you know, we're not great, but we're usually okay. And sometimes we're better than okay. And so that's the thing we can go to. And that's the thing that's going to allow us, if we're on our day, to be competitive, even with teams that are better than us, you know, opponents that have just better talent. Yeah. And, and so that's, that's what they're going to do. I mean, as you said, even in, in a loss where they shot horribly from three, they didn't stop shooting. That's what three <laughs> no. for 29 tells you. They didn't stop uh, to their detriment in that game, maybe, but they didn't stop. And I don't know what other option they really had. Yeah. So yeah, much. 
you know, I would expect, I think it's, I think I said they averaged 24 attempts per game. Mm -hmm. So 29 was a little extreme, but you can expect at a minimum, you know, low to mid twenties would not be surprising. So what does that mean for Michigan state? Well, that means again, your perimeter guys. And so in this matchup, it's going to be because our two best shooters are smaller guards. It's going to be Michigan state's guards. It's not necessarily going to be Malik Hall or, you know, like in the Illinois game where their bigs had to be worried about Guerrier and and uh, and Hawkins especially shooting from three, right? Penn State mm-hmm. doesn't have personnel that's going to test you that way all that much. So right. it's going to be down to your perimeter guys. are going to have to be dialed in, uh, and they're going to have to recognize shooters. They're going to have to close effectively. Rotations have got to be good. And they've got to contest. And the best thing would be to just limit the attempts. But I think against Penn State, that's going to be tough to do because they they really don't have many other better options. So you're you're probably going to see them putting up a lot of shots from out there regardless. So you yeah. just want to make them tough. Yeah, it's interesting. Look at that game from in East Lansing. They were three for twenty nine from three, but they were seventeen of thirty three from the the non three point range. So actually, yeah, which is better. They're than, pretty good. Well, yeah. they're not normally a great two-point shooting team so that was maybe a weird game for them both ways worse than they normally are from three better than they normally are from two but um i still think it's going to come down in large part to the way msu can uh can defend them on the perimeter and finally the last key of the game is the transition game mentioned penn state likes to play fast in the first meeting michigan state had a huge edge in the trans fast break points at 20 days yeah and, and so we saw it in that game Ideally, you'd see something similar here. Uh, it lines up, at least in theory, to be a game where that can happen. Mm-hmm. Penn State's not a great offensive rebounding team, so if you're if you're getting clean rebounds defensively, you should have chances to get out and run. Um, Penn State wants to play fast itself. Sometimes the Illinois game, a prime example. Illinois likes to play fast. Does that did that play into Michigan State being able to run against them more than in some other games? I think it does at times. Probably do, yeah. Right. Yeah. And I don't think Penn State is anywhere nearly as disciplined as Illinois. Uh the other thing is, you know, Penn State does a pretty good job of avoiding turnovers, especially considering how fast they play. They're they're at number sixty in turnover percentage, which is pretty good. Yeah. But but we certainly have seen Michigan State is a team that has the capability to force live ball turnovers. It's It's been yeah. an important part of their success this season. I think more so that element may be more with this team than any other Michigan State team of the Izzo era that I can think of. They, they just have a knack. For doing it, we saw it in the Illinois game. They had a knack for it in some of the biggest moments to take it from, I think it was taking it from a four point lead to an eight point lead with back to back live ball turnovers. Right. Uh, that that ability can be big. And, and obviously, as it did on those Illinois plays that I mentioned, it gives you easy chances to score at the other end. So it's not even just you're limiting them from scoring on their end, you're turning it around and putting points. Uh, down their throat at the other end of the court. I don't know how much I would expect. I don't think it's a game where you look at it and say, well, 
you know, you're you're figuring maybe you're going to get nine, 10, 11 steals, but if you can get some, that could be that could be the kind of edge that you need and would help overall in this transition game element. Yeah, I mean, I think you've seen a, an improved play from Hogarth. Now, I guess I'm a, that was one game <laughs> against Illinois where he was really, really good, both on both ends and the defensive end really spurred, I think, a lot of their transition. Uh, they had 13 steals the first meeting. Half of those were from Tyson. I think he had six. Yep. I think Tyson's probably a little bit more limited now because of his groin injury. So uh, that might change things a bit, but I still would, like you, I still expect pretty good turnovers off Penn State. Uh, you know, looking at this game, Michigan State's roster looks different in the sense that Fears is, or Fears is still out, but, but Kohler's back and he's playing a lot bigger role. Uh, do, you, do you, is this a game where you expect to see Kohler do a lot more? And then I guess the secondary question is, is this a game we see a little appearance from Booker? I think there's a chance for both. And, and the reason I say that is, I'm not sure Penn State has guys that I believe are going to easily be able to exploit those players. It'll be interesting to see if they try to do something similar with Jackson that they did in the Illinois game, which is match him up when the starting center is off the floor. Yeah. And when Penn State has to go to their bench. Now, there's a couple guys we didn't mention in the roster preview um, big men who have played sparingly this year. Uh, sometimes Penn State will go to those guys. Sometimes they'll just go small ball. And mm-hmm. if they go small, I think that definitely, I, I think the, the thing that it seems to me MSU is conscious of is right now with Jackson is think about the Illinois game. They tried to match him up with danger as much as they could. So what does that mean? You might at first blush say, well, that's a guy who can score in the post, and Jackson is a smaller center type. But it makes sense because the thing you know Danger isn't going to be capable of testing is your ability to move. Whereas Hawkins was going to stretch you out, you know, 20 feet away from the rim and then be fully (laughs) capable of taking you to the basket. Or, you know, MSU didn't want to be in situations against Minnesota where they had him playing against Austin Garcia. You know, you take him against Pharrell Payne, but not Garcia. So I do think this is a game that I can see opportunities, and maybe even against Waheed, I could see opportunities for Jackson. With Book, I think they're going to try to play him. Um, I don't know if there's anything particular in the matchups that lead you to conclude that versus other games, other than, you know, you... the Illinois game, who are you going to have him guard? Yeah. Right. You have him guard, you know, Gary, that, that's not a great matchup because that guy can stretch you. You know, at times Goody was playing the four. You don't want him guarding Goody. You know, there just weren't good matchups. Penn State's four men don't worry you as much in terms of their ability to really stress you, again, away from the rim which is what I think they want to stay away from with Booker, you know? Yeah, and I think, and Booker played 14 minutes in the first match. Now, right. A lot of that is largely is because they had a gigantic right. lead in the second yeah. half. He's able to play. But I remember he had a turn in the first half uh, and looked I okay. Think they'll, I, think they'll, I think they'll try to. I think both those guys are going to see the floor. I, I, I hesitate to predict minutes, although, again, yeah. in, in Jackson... Game flow changes that. Yeah, in Jackson Colder's case... Um, I do think 
he did enough against Illinois that you look at this and say, at least on paper, hey, this is another game where maybe you get him 13, 14, 15 minutes. Because the it's going to depend how well he plays. You know, if he's out there and he's not, he's uh, he's not re- he's getting beat on the boards, and he's not finishing plays. Well, then there's no reason to play him a lot. And I think with him too, I, which we it, we discount, but I think we can't forget the fact that he is coming off the injury. He's only been playing for four four weeks. Yeah, maybe? something no. like that. Yeah, yeah, so not even four weeks. He wasn't even back for the Penn State game, so he is still going to get. He's still getting up to speed. Just on his endurance for sure. And so, yeah, I mean, he's probably not more than a 20 minute a night guy. Fully oh, that's ready the to max. go. That's right? the max. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's what he is for the season. So we're not, you know, if he's playing 14, 15 minutes, you're just about where, <laughs> where you're going to get out of him anyway. So yeah, that'd be a whole lot different. And at some point there's, there is that there are num- number of moments, in the Illinois game. I realize it's not the time for it, but uh, he's got the, you know, 16 foot, does he have a reliable 16 foot jump shot? Because I feel like that's people yeah. just leaving that, you know, wide open. Just, you know, well, drop he's, he's hit, he's hit that shot. He's hit that shot this year. Not a lot of attempts, but he has hit a mid range jumper. Um, so yeah, he's capable of that. And, you know, I, I do tend to think that that's probably not in the scouting report that most he, I think that's something that if Jackson, is going to take a shot from you know twelve to fifteen feet. Opponents are probably going to let him. They're not going to be folks saying, "Hey, you got to you got to make sure he <laughs> right. doesn't get a clean look." They're going to live with that until he proves that they shouldn't. And I think he's capable, but you know you got to see him actually do it. I think for right now, you know, if those shots are there, I'm fine with him taking them. But what I'm, I'm most interested in from him on the offensive end is using that footwork and that strength. I go back to that play he just didn't convert, but the play itself was remarkable where he just sort of dislodged Coleman, uh, Coleman Hawkins. And that was great. And if we see more of that, and then we see more of that offensive rebounding presence, which I've, I've felt going back to last year that he has a knack for that. You know, he, I was thinking about it more (laughs) yesterday. He sort of, because I watched replays of, especially the first one he got, not the tip, but the one that he actually brought the rebound down off a missed jumper and then went back up and scored. He reminds me, the the just watching him visually, it reminds me of uh, a guy like Goran Sutan. There's some uh-huh. similarities there in that he's not a great athlete, He's not a particularly huge guy, but, you know, Goran just had a knack for that stuff, you know, and he had good hands and eventually he got comfortable enough that he was able to finish plays around the rim pretty regularly. People, probably a lot of people still remember the missed layup that had a big part costing them <laughs> a win over Gonzaga, his, his redshirt freshman year, really the first time people were seeing him in many instances. Uh, in a classic game in Maui that MSU lost. I think it was double or triple overtime. Yeah. Um, but, you know, eventually Goran got to be a very consistent finisher. And he was and a very good rebounder. And he was, you know, Joey Hauser was that way. He had more on the defensive end. But Joey Hauser, not a great athlete, not a particularly huge guy, particularly last year when he got himself in better shape and slimmed down a bit. And yet the best defensive rebounder they had. 
You know, mm-hmm. I think Jackson can be that, but maybe a little more on the offensive end because he just seems to have a nose for it. And and that's anyway, that was the thought that flashed in my mind when I rewatched uh, that that offensive putback he had in, uh, in the Illinois game. I thought, well, he's got a chance to maybe do some similar things to some of those guys. Yeah, and I think the if I recall too that one that you're th- talking about is one he never actually brings it all the way down, right? Like right. the best ones, he kept uh, it they high. catch it and just keep it high and just kind of flick it back right. up before well, anyone has a chance to really react, which has been a problem with Mati for sure when he yes. gets the offensive rebounds. That absolutely, pretty much he has to just toss it out of the paint because he's just not going to, or he's going to be a contested, you know, absolutely kind of thrown up at the glass. It's, look, it's it's you know people call it basketball IQ or you know terms that that kind of equate to intelligence but it's just as much i think it's just a function of playing a lot of basketball and being well coached and yeah. there are a lot of elements look jackson kohler is certainly a big person by humanity standards but not by major <laughs> college basketball he's not yeah he's always going to be a, a little bit on the smaller side for a center you know so he mm-hmm. doesn't have that edge he's not a great athlete so the things that he does that have enabled him to play at this level and sometimes very effectively and to show the potential for a lot more have to do with being smart, with being well-drilled, playing the game in a way that allows him to compensate for those la- for that lack of physical gifts, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that what you're talking about is a prime example of that. It's a simple thing. But as you said, there's a lot of guys, a lot of big men that just don't ever get the knack for that, of getting a rebound and keeping the ball high. So I guess before in closing, you know, this is a game, a road game, of course. Michigan State has only had the one against Maryland where they just kind of squeaked out of there, blew the game in Minneapolis, and then competitive in Illinois, not very competitive at Northwestern. Uh, a game I think they not that they have to have, but if you want to really kind of do something and get some decent seating, you got to get this game. You got to probably get the Michigan game, and you got to win it. You got to win a couple of games of these of these games on the road. Abs- absolutely. Just, you know, you'd hope that they have it. I my the best line I thought from Izzo was that he was telling AJ that if he keeps playing like this, he's going to have to kill him <laughs> because yeah. he was so upset that he's playing so well. Like, why haven't you been playing this well all year? So what have they got? Is this is this three road games left or four? Uh, four, because they've got Indiana, Purdue. Indiana is what I wasn't thinking of. Penn State, Michigan. Indiana, Purdue, Penn State, Michigan. You want to get these two. You really do. I think. Because, look, Indiana is not a very good team this year, but that is a building where, even though Michigan State's done a lot of winning there over the years, that's a building where, you know, more so than some others, more so than this one for sure, and more so than Chrysler, you could have a crowd effect, and and that team, despite their struggles, they've certainly got some talent. And so, if they happen to be clicking and they're on their day, that could be challenging. We also know there's virtually no chance to do anything um, in West Lafayette. So, yeah. and and you do have you know home games. You've got what? You've got Iowa. You've got Ohio State, Northwest Ohio State. And Northwestern, and, you know, the Northwestern yep. game, you know, Northwestern's had some success in Breslin too in recent years. I mean, that team has just had success, right? Against Michigan yeah. State over the last couple seasons. So, you know, that's, that's one that you're, you know, you might have to play competitively. So the, to win, 
So mm-hmm. I think that, yeah, it is important. It's, imp- it's important for a couple of reasons. One, because you don't want, you know, you just by winning the Illinois game, you quiet it and boy, I've seen some bad takes. We're like, yeah, Michigan State really needed that win to get off the bubble. They weren't on the bubble if they lost that. They weren't. Um, it, it, depending upon, I guess, if you define the bubble as, well, any team from a nine seed on down is on the bubble. All right. But by that definition, they'd fit. <laughs> but they weren't, you know, they, they just weren't. But it quieted a lot of that kind of nonsense talk. And I do think that's, that's helpful. But more importantly, as we've talked about, you want to continue the momentum that has been built up. You know, the, the Minnesota loss, there was a feeling like, well, if this turns into two in a row, that could right. derail that sense of momentum and that sense of getting better as you head toward March. Now with the Illinois win, you've got a chance to keep that intact. But what you can't do is you can't get into a one-on-one-off sort of scenario, right? right. That's yeah. that's not right. going to work. So I think that uh, it's it's important from that sense. And it's also important that if you're Michigan State, this is the other thing too. Realistically, there's probably a cap on what this team can do from a seeding perspective. Now, I happen to think that seeding has never been less important than it is now. And that's for some very obvious and I think easy to understand reasons. It has to do with the lack of continuity in rosters. You want to you want a good explanation why all of a sudden top 10 teams playing <laughs> at non-ranked opponents are essentially 500 this year when historically they're more in the 750 range. That's a pretty good place to start, in my opinion. That yeah. it's a lack of continuity in in teams, you know, as a result of the portal. And so, you know, that's going to be, uh, it's going it, to, the effect of that is I'm not as worried about where Michigan State sits on a seating line. You know, I'm just, mm-hmm. I'm really not. It's going to be much more about who they're matched up against and how they're playing at that time. But that said, it just happens to go hand in hand that the better you play down the stretch, the better your seating picture is going to look. <laughs> right. So, exactly. yeah, I would like, you know, right now, I think a lot of the, the sense I've got is that they're probably in that nine range at the moment after after the Illinois win. Um, you know, you'd like to see if you can move up maybe to a seven where they were last year, you know, get into, get into that range. And I think if they can, if they can continue momentum, I know this, if they can, if they can go the rest of the way and the only loss the rest of the way is to Purdue, um, which I think is doable. Uh, They have a, they have a chance, even though, you know, people will point out, well, yeah, Purdue's the only quad one game you've got left, but it doesn't, these games are, these games left are quad two. You know, you could say, well, there's not huge, huge upside, but there's also not that much downside. And if you're reeling mm-hmm. off, you know, five wins against teams like that, you're probably going to be okay. So, yeah. especially when you start doing on the road too, I think it yeah, means a little exactly. bit more Yeah, exactly. That this one and Michigan are road games. But but look, they got to come to play. I mean, we saw in Minneapolis, this is Penn State's profile as a team 
is not dramatically different than Minnesota's. So no, no. that game should teach everybody, hey, you can't go in, even if you get up nine in the second half, you can't start thinking it's over. You got to see these things out. And so that's what we need to see on Wednesday night from Michigan State is a team that, that feels like they've learned their lessons. All right. Well, we'll see everybody after the game on Wednesday. Uh, just a reminder, you can head on over to our support page at the final fours on the schedule.com slash support. There you can find the links to all our great sponsors, Nudge Printing, the Brothers Just Two Gutters, and the Squeegee Squad of Grand Rapids, as well as an affiliate link where you can get a free variety pack at, of Element Electrolyte repl- Replenishment uh, Drink and a link to get a signed copy of the book by Coach Garland, Agoji. So until next time, the final four is on the schedule. Go green. Go green.